Welcome to the 100 Entrepreneurs Podcast, created to provide veterans and their family members with information, ideas, and inspiration for starting new businesses. This is Amanda Weathersby for 100 Entrepreneurs Foundation. We talk with entrepreneurs and small business experts to learn more about their industries and their lessons learned in creating and growing new businesses. Thank you for joining us. I'm delighted to have Justin Garrity with me today. He is an Army veteran and a founder of Veteran Compost, a company that is environmentally friendly and growing fast. Welcome, Justin. Hi, how's it going? Good, good. So glad you could join us. Oh, thanks. Uh, so first of all, Justin, would you give us some information on your background and how in the world did you end up running a compost business? That's probably the first question I get asked is how did I end up doing this, which some days I ask myself, you know, the how did I get here question a lot. So my own stuff. So um, I grew up in like suburbs, like a deer mall. So I don't come from a a big military family. Uh, my grandparents, my grandfather's supposed to serve, but I kind of decided that uh, it was something I wanted to do. So right out of high school, um, I went to college and, and was a four-year ROTC cadet. So the year or the day that I graduated college is the day I put up my right hand and, and came into the Army as a second lieutenant. Uh, I, um, my background in college was in computers, but obviously you know, that's kind of boring. So decided to be a combat engineer officer and so spent uh, five years on active duty as a combat engineer officer in uh, spent a year in Korea with 2nd Infantry Division, 1st Heavy Brigade, uh, came back to Fort Leonard Wood and spent um, time over in Iraq uh, with the 94th Engineer Battalion, supporting 41st Armor. And then, um, you know, after that five years on active duty, decided to switch to the National Guard. Uh, and so I did another five years in the National Guard, so 10 years altogether in the Army. Um, but when I got home from Iraq and active duty, I moved back to Philadelphia area and was uh, thought, you know, 2009, not a great job market, and I quickly realized that it was a really bad job market, not only um, because of the general economics, but also because of, as a veteran, you know, unfortunately in the era of automated robots searching resumes and scrubbing for keywords, uh, my resume and, and my my applications were kind of overlooked. So when I applied to a marketing job or something like that, no one ever picked me because I didn't have any marketing bullet points on my resume, um, which is frustrating. I think it's probably frustrating for everybody in the military that, you know, in the age of the military where everyone's adaptive leaders, you would think that you could probably go lead any organization, whether it be in the military or in the civilian world. And so um, after I got really no traction in, in finding a job for months and months, uh, I found myself on unemployment, so I got home from Iraq, and, and less than six months later, I have an unemployment check coming to me, which was just was humiliating. And so I got really angry, and I got really sad, and then I decided to do something about it because being angry and being sad wasn't really uh, a good way to deal with it. And so I started to look around at business opportunities, and I figured if nobody was going to hire me, then you know I'd figure something out myself. And so I looked at different things, and I, I like sustainability, and, you know, I am not a hippie guy. I don't come from a hippie family. I have a Ford truck, and I, you know, diesel tractors and eat steak and all that stuff, but I think the planet is pretty cool, and I want to try to protect it as best we can, and I think that also uh, sustainability 
to be financially viable. So I think there's some ideas around sustainability with energy and waste management and all kinds of other aspects of it that are really the future for business. And so as I studied different sustainable business ideas, I kind of kept coming back to recycling. And bottles and cans and scrap metal and appliances, people are doing that. And I really considered doing electronics recycling, but that's only like a small percentage of what going to the landfill. It's about 3% of the waste stream, 2 to 3%. And so when I look at the pie chart of what is trash, the pie chart, there's this huge slice that's composed of, that's comprised of food scraps, wood waste, yard waste, uh, and paper waste, you know, things like tissues and napkins that aren't recyclable. And so two-thirds of every trash truck in the country that's driving around, what's in the back of it could be composted. And so there's a ton of raw materials, and there's mm-hmm. a very big lack of competition. And so I saw, you know, what I thought was either a great opportunity um, or a huge mistake, you know, and I figured I would kind of pursue it. And so I spent the better part of, of six months researching everything I could. And so I Googled everything I could about composting, and I just, you know, would see articles, and I'd call the people who wrote them and ask them, hey, can I have a couple minutes of your time? And people were surprisingly helpful and, and, and generous with their time. Or I would see a, a compost facility on a map, and I would ask, hey, can I come visit and get a tour? And so I just kind of went around and saw what other people were doing and how they were doing it and kind of the things I liked and the things I didn't like and the things I wanted to copy and the things I wanted to avoid and started mm-hmm. to come up with my own plan. And I kind of realized at the time that, hey, I'm, I just spent all this time in the Army. I'm not really – never had a business before. I'm not a, a business guy, so I need to get smart on business if I'm going to be a business owner. And so I used my GI Bill to go back to school. I went to night school at Penn State and um, took business classes. And I also worked with the SBDC, the Small Business Development Center, uh, which mm-hmm. is a free service anywhere in the country. And I used them as kind of a sounding board for my ideas and put together my plan um, and, you know, really just put together my plan to, to start composting. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, for and me, this, this, was my, your, this was your okay. business plan that, that you put together, correct? Right. So I, there's a good book that I always recommend called The Art of the Start by Guy mm-hmm. Kawasaki. And you can get it at the library. You can buy it on Amazon for a couple bucks, the paperback. And it's a great book. It really, if you're thinking about starting a business, it's going to inspire you and make you want to run out and do it that day. And that's mm-hmm. great. And it really kind of boils things down to um, the idea of really doing a feasibility analysis and getting started. So if you're designing an app, instead of waiting until the app is absolutely perfect and every bug is ironed out, you get the 80% solution and off you go. And I think that resonates with CEA being in the military. You know, there's never the 80% solution is, is what I used 100% of the time in the Army. I mean, so it's kind of common to, hey, this looks like a pretty good idea. We've got most of the resources and let's get going and we'll figure it out as we go. And that's really, you know, how most missions go in my experience. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I also, you know, did all that, and I worked on a business plan. And like I said, the Small Business Development Center was really cool because I took some of their classes, and then once I took their classes, I was allowed to get their business coaching for free. So I had a, a college professor from Widener University who I was taking him kind of what I was writing, and he was giving me, you know, 
feedback, and I didn't cost anything. And he gave me some really good ideas and mm-hmm. things to think about, and I was able to kind of continue to refine my plan and, and think through things. Great. That's terrific. And uh, so you started, and what, what year did, was the business started? So I started in 2010. So I started cooking up the plan in, like, January of 2010, and then I formed an LLC in, like, February of 2010, and then I actually signed a lease and started making compost uh, in July of 2010. That's when I actually got, got both me in the water and off my land. So what does it mean to be uh, a comp- compost company? Describe your company. Well, how does it work? So our company, uh, the way that it works is we collect and compost food scraps. And so people pay us to pick up their food scraps, and some of those people are residential folks. You know, maybe they have a bin in their apartment or their home. Um, some of them are office buildings where we do their break rooms, and some of them are very large commercial entities. They're restaurants. We do schools. We do the Baltimore Orioles and the Ravens, and we do factories and food production facilities. And so what happens is people, we provide the containers, whether it be a small seven-gallon bin at your home or a large dumpster, and you fill it up with food scraps, and then we come with our truck and collect that material. And we leave behind a nice clean bin, and our drivers bring the bins back to uh, our facility to be dumped out uh, and washed. So we wash the bins and store them for future use. Then all the material, all those food scraps, we make sure there's no trash in there, and we mix it with wood chips. So our two main ingredients day-to-day are fruit scraps and wood chips, and we get the wood chips for free from tree companies, and we get the food scraps. We get paid to get them. So our two ingredients are pretty sweet deal that we get paid for one of them and the other one's free. Um, mm-hmm. We take those ingredients and we mix it together. And, you know, we have, you know, tractors and skid loaders. You know, it's a, if you started out, when I started, it was by hand. I had a pitchfork, and now it's mechanized. <laughs> we have... Have diesel-powered equipment that fixes it all on a big concrete pad, and we put it in a pile. And so, if you mm-hmm. think about a backyard compost pile, it's this is that, but much, much bigger. Our piles are 30 feet wide and a couple hundred feet long. And yeah. every day, we add material to the end of the pile. And every 10 to 12 feet, we put a pipe in the pile. And that pipe has holes in it, and it's connected to an electric blower. Um, and the blowers that we use, we kind of design. We worked with a company to kind of design a system and ripped it off of that idea. And, and now what we ended up with is we have uh, moon bounce plugs that we buy on Amazon. Those moon bounce <laughs> electric fans blow air in there. And we uh-huh. use timers, and the timers we found on eBay. And so everything, we buy our extension cords at Home Depot. So we could have bought a system off the shelf for, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand dollars. And the system that we ended up designing, other than our labor and kind of design time, the actual materials themselves, you know, only cost us a couple thousand dollars to accomplish the same thing. And so what wow. happens is the, <laughs> the material comes in and we spend about 30 days composting it and then we screen it and then we store it for another couple weeks and then we sell it and we sell it in bulk and bags to home gardeners, to farmers, to landscapers. And so today the material we took in is from a supermarket that's hamburgers and hot dogs and fruit, fruit and vegetable waste. 90 days from today, it's going to leave our facilities as a product that we're selling. So we get, you know, revenue for selling the, the finished product as well. Yeah, that's great. And, the, uh, and what part of the business 
is the most profitable? Is it the picking up the scraps or is it the compost itself? So the thing that's most important to us as a business is the, the production of the compost. I think mm-hmm. it's more fulfilling. You know, that's where we're actually uh-huh. baking a product. Our finished product is used to grow food and, and a big part mm-hmm. of people's success with their, their farms. But it's also the most profitable and the most difficult. So um, the profit margins on our product sales are higher than our collection. So that's mm-hmm. where we really focus on having a good quality product and we try to find ways to sell it for the most amount of money possible to maximize our profits. And we make more total revenue from our collection. Uh, when I started this, it was me with a little 10-foot trailer I brought up, bought on Craigslist on the back of my SUV, and that's how we started our collection business. And now we have 10 trucks in the fleet that are out there doing scheduled service every week. So it's grown to be pretty good size. So it's the largest chunk of our revenue, but with a thinner profit margin, and the smaller revenue is from the product sales, but it's more profit. So we kind of balance those two things together to kind of fund the whole business and, and make it viable. That's great. Um, and where are your? Where do you make your compost? Did you have to rent uh, land or or buy land? The land the land thing is probably the most challenging. So in our industry, uh, when I started. You know, it's, it was the Wild West. That's one of the things that attracted me to it is when I started in Maryland back in 2010, I, I looked in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware, and Maryland for land. I was, I'm from, um, my family's off from Philadelphia and the Baltimore area, so I was kind of familiar and comfortable in that area. And so I looked in that whole four-state area, and I finally, um, you know, went through this whole process trying to call real estate agents and economic development people and no one would get back to me, and no one would rent me land. And what ended up working out was I found a farm for rent on Craigslist. And so I signed a lease on this farm. Uh, it was 30 acres. I only needed a very small portion of that. Um, back then when we started, we only used maybe a half an acre. Even today, you know, the facility's grown. We only maybe use two or three acres for composting. The rest is farmland. Um, and so I, I leased that property. Uh, it's in Aberdeen, Maryland. It's actually maybe 10 minutes from the gate at Aberdeen Proving Ground. I never served at Aberdeen Proving Ground. I'm not an ordinance mm-hmm. guy, and I don't ever go to the base. Um, I'm pretty, uh, you know, installation adverse at this point, point in my life. But um, mm-hmm. it is nearby. Um, and so that, that's north of Baltimore, and we started a second facility about two and a half years ago, and that is in Fairfax, Virginia, so that's south of D.C. So all of our heavy commercial stuff from supermarkets and hospitals and everything – is what we do in the Baltimore and Annapolis area, and that goes to our facility in Aberdeen. And then in the D.C. area where we do more residential and office material, that goes to our site uh, in Fairfax, Virginia. So right now we run two different sites, um, and we're working on we have a property that we lease now um, in between Annapolis and, and D.C., and we are in the process of permitting and starting construction on that. So that will be our third site, um, and that will help us um, to kind of cover more geography. So. In our industry, um, some people build really big sites, and in the waste industry, people tend to build these super landfills and super incinerators, and the idea is you have transfer stations from all over that feed the monster, that feed the big site. But Mm -hmm. if all your eggs are in one basket and you have a site that can do 100 tons a day, if you get shut down for an issue, you're out of work. 
But if I have mm-hmm. five sites that do 20 tons a day, if I have issues at one site, my other four sites can pick up the slack. And so it's, our goal is to really have a network of sites and kind of spread them out. So instead of having a hub with spokes, let's have the Southwest model where we have stuff all over and we just hop between them. And so that helps us to diversify our risk. And it's also mm-hmm. less expensive to start. So I can start a site for less than if I was trying to build a big hub. And so that's where we're at now is just continuing to acquire land and get started. But um, it's challenging. It's challenging in any business you want to get into these days. You know, if you had a business that gave out free hugs and snow cones, you'd have a challenge getting it zoned in America because no one, no one wants anything in their neighborhood. And so um, we've been through a lot of zoning fights. We do a lot of permitting for our business. Um, the advice I always have for people is the lesson I learned in the Army is when it comes to civilians and bureaucracy is you can either fight the machine or you can learn to live within it. And so when I was in the Army and I had to deal with a lot of civilians for land reservations and getting ranges and materials and stuff for my troops, I learned it's a lot easier to walk in to the offices with hot chocolate and be everybody's buddy than to fight them. That's the same mm-hmm. here as we try to be as friendly as possible with the elected officials and the regulators because it's a lot easier to work with them um, than to try to fight them. So that's what's mm-hmm. been successful for us is having good relationships with local government and regulators and stuff like that. Well, that's great. And so you've obviously grown quite a bit. And how... How have you grown? You must you've expanded customer bases both on on the pickup you know the pickup side as well as the the uh, compost sales side. And what are the best marketing tricks you've figured out? <laughs> How does it work? Sure. So we started. I started. It was a one person show. So it was me and the, literally the money in my pocket. The money I saved while I was in an active duty. And so uh, it took us six months. You know, I say us. I I used to do that a lot when I got started. I always be like, we and us and this. It's just me. (laughs) I always talk myself up, and I learned it's better to just be folksy and pathetic. People people appreciate that more. Just be honest and admit you're a small business. People generally would rather throw the business to you anyway. And so, um, so I, I should say, started back then. It was really hard. Um, I didn't couldn't get a customer for six months. And the story I tell often is that a restaurant called me. That um, that was had, had someone picking up their compost, and they wanted to switch service providers. Um, because the other company, the other company didn't show up, and mm-hmm. so um, I said, "Well, I'll be there on Friday, um, and I'll and I'll happy to visit and, t- and give you a quote." And Friday that week it snowed, and so I drove through the snow. I left early, got drove drove and got there, and showed up on time. And they were completely blown away that I showed up. And they, yeah. did, they said, well, we didn't think you were going to come. And I said, well, I thought that was the whole problem. And so they <laughs> signed up on the spot because I was able to be there on time. And so our best way has been, you know, service. You know, we give good customer service. We're very – I give every collection customer uh, my cell phone number. You know, no one at Waste Management or Republic is giving out their cell phone number. You know, yeah. the CEO is certainly not doing that. So everyone has my cell phone number. And then our finished products, we make the best quality we can. Uh, if mm-hmm. we make a good product, I don't think we'll ever have trouble selling it because we won't feel bad about charging what we want to charge for it because we know how good it is. And yeah. people will keep coming back because it's good. So that's what we've done. We've spent $0 on advertising. I have never taken out any newspaper ads. I've never spent any money on online marketing. Um, you know, we just continue to make good products and offer good service. And just through word of mouth, 
um, you know, people have found us. Um, now, we do invest our time in having a good website and having a social media presence and making sure that, you know, that's tuned up and that's helpful. Mm-hmm. And so every couple of months I go through and make sure that uh, my website is accurate. Every, every week we try to post new things on social media because no one comes out to buy from us and without saying, oh, yeah, I, you know, saw this on the website or, oh, yeah, I, I, I recognize the barn. I saw that in a picture on Facebook or a post you had. So it's really important, I think, to have all that digital stuff because that's how people either Google us because they're looking for the things that we sell or they've heard about us. And so we do invest a lot of our time in social media and the website. However, I've never spent any money on consultants or SEO or anything like that. Uh, now, I would add one thing, though. I have driven around uh, Washington, D.C., in some of the neighborhoods and seen veteran compost signs in their yards. Oh, yeah, we did. You're right. We did do some yard signs, and we do put <laughs> we do have logos on all our trucks, and those logos have more than paid for themselves. So, like, some of that stuff, yeah, that, I guess you're right. I, we do do some of that stuff. Okay. Uh, the yard sign. <laughs> And then the uh-huh. logo truck, that, that cuts both ways, though. Like, I was um, out with some people the other day, and they were they recognized, they heard about the business and said, oh, yeah, I see one of your trucks at Panera in Alexandria, Virginia, every, every day. Do you, guys, do you guys service Panera? And I was like, no, we don't. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, but, you know, I was like, we do have GPS in all our trucks. I don't, I don't necessarily pay attention to it as long as yeah. our outs get done on time, but I... Yeah. I bet if I go log in, there's probably a stop at, at that parking lot every week as we start going to get a coffee. So, you know, it's sure. both ways for our drivers. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So what would you say are the most rewarding parts of running a business, your own business? Uh, you know, in terms of running the own business, I mean, you know, what we do is kind of like fulfilling because, you know, the whole goal – you know, the name of the business is Veteran Compost. The whole goal is really to, to hire veterans and their family members and give them gainful, you know, living wages and employment and, mm-hmm. and also to, to make compost. So we take all these materials that people were going to throw away, they're going to bury in a landfill, and we're taking them, and not only are we keeping them out of the landfill, but we're turning them into this product that people desperately want, and it's this organic mm-hmm. product. And so, like, that's pretty cool you know, when you step back sometimes and think about it, and we've been able to grow um, not only the number of people that we've, we've hired and now we're at more than 15 full-time employees, but we've also been able to, to grow the wages. You know, we've been able to, you know, every time we try to we make some money, we try to share that with our employees through, through pay increases and, you know, we're considering mm-hmm. other types of benefits. So that's, that's cool too because I, I – we went through a lot of turnover initially, and it's hard to find people that want to do what we do. I mean, it's a dirty mm-hmm. job. You know, we're picking mm-hmm. up food scraps. We're making dirt. It's, it's diesel-powered equipment. It's outdoor work. It's 100 in the summer. It's zero in the winter outside. Um, mm-hmm. But when we do find the people and with people we've had, I mean, they really do feel like family, and I feel like we have that same camaraderie we had in the military where, you know, like, I work with all these people, but if someone – Someone needs 20 bucks to get them through the week or somebody needs a ride home or whatever, you know, whatever people need, it, it, of course, anything you want because we have that connection. I think that's pretty cool. I don't think you get that in a lot of jobs. So I like that about where we work, that, that we're all kind of an extended family. 
Um, so those right. parts about the business are, are, are pretty cool that, you know, we get to have a culture like that. Yeah, that's wonderful. Are there some big lessons learned that you can think of um, that you would like to tell people who are thinking about starting a business? It's tough. Yeah, I tell people it's it's tough, and there are certainly days where I wonder, like, maybe maybe I should have just taken the easy out and, and held out for a job or trying to work mm-hmm. with the government or something. Um, so there are definitely tough days. I mean, I would say, you know, definitely know your risk tolerance and, and what's important. I mean, when I started all this, I was – I was single, and so I didn't mind working 20 hours a day, seven days a week. I didn't work. I didn't mind. Well, maybe it wasn't seven days a week, but seven days a week, maybe let's say 18 hours, probably more accurate. But mm-hmm. you know, I didn't mind doing that, you know. But now I'm I'm married and have a daughter, so my priorities are are different, and they probably would have been different back then. Um, I didn't have a mortgage. I didn't have a lot of bills to worry about outside of the business, mm-hmm. so I was able to take some risks. So I would tell people always know what your risk tolerance is. And, and starting small is great. You know, if you look at, you know, the idea, I, I, I bootstrapped everything I had, and there's parts about that that I like, and I like that attitude. And uh, if we'd gone belly up, I wouldn't have owed people a lot of money. I would have just mm-hmm. had to go start over for myself. Um, and so, you know, if you're thinking about an idea out there, you know, if you're the art of the start, you know, the book I referenced earlier, they talk about starting small. You know, if you're thinking about you have this killer – recipe for hot sauce and you want to be the next Tabasco, uh, you don't have to go rent a 50,000 square foot warehouse and a production line and 50 employees. Why don't you start cooking up in your kitchen and start selling some batches to friends? And then maybe that turns into renting space at a church in their commercial kitchen and doing a couple of farmer's markets and maybe Whole Foods mm-hmm. in your local mm-hmm. neighborhood and, and growing from there. So I'd say also, you know, if you have a big idea, think about how maybe you could start smart. Uh, we made a lot of mistakes. I, I made so many mistakes in terms of like <laughs> packaging, things that I own, th- things that I bought equipment-wise, pricing, all of that stuff. But I was so small that when I made those mistakes and I realized that I could quickly adjust. And if I, yeah. we make mistakes now at a larger scale, you know, it would be more t- difficult to fix. So when you start small too, you make mistakes, but they're fixable. And so I like that mm-hmm. part of it too because we certainly we jacked a lot of stuff up at the beginning. And I yeah. keep saying we. Once again, it was me. I, 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 it was me for like a year and a half. It was a one-person show. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Well, thank you, Justin. This has been terrific, as always. Uh, we're excited to have you join us at Fort Belvoir very soon. And um, and uh, we, uh, it's always a pleasure. You've, you've been back a few times, so <laughs> it's a great business. Well, I, I, yeah, no, thanks. I appreciate the opportunity. It's always cool to, to chat with everyone. And, and uh, yeah, thanks a lot. Okay. All right. Well, thanks again, and we'll talk soon. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks. Bye.